Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. The Lure, or in conversation with the alluring Mistress Snow. <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome to by far the most nice episode of Horror Vanguard that will ever happen. Episode 69. Nice. Uh, join, nice. Join, nice. <laughs> join, joining me, as always, is is John. John, the wonderful co-host, John. And and John, do you do you feel a chill in the air today? Is it perhaps a little colder than usual here in the HV crypt? I mean, Ooh. we always keep it pretty chilly, but the temperature has definitely dropped a few degrees. One might say that it's going to snow today. One, one, one might. <laughs> one, one might indeed. And so uh, for episode 69, we we brought back the only guest that, that could ever possibly handle this. Mistress Snow, how's it going? Mistress Snow is back. <laughs> it's, it's going. <laughs> listeners, listeners probably remember uh, Mistress Snow from our episode on Cam, uh, which came out before uh, everything in the world uh, went uh, utter <laughs> shit, plague. Um, which was a great episode, and we and there was a, oh yeah shit there's a plague now, um, <laughs> uh, but we're delighted we're delighted to have you back for this extremely nice 69th episode of the Horror Vanguard. Nice, <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me for such an event. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're getting all of our nice puns out of the way now. <laughs> oh, out of the yeah, no, they're they're never gonna end. If only we were recording on 420. Hey, oh that would have been Dude, that would be too powerful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and for our 69th, for our 69th nice. episode, um, Mr. Snow has chosen uh, our movie for today. And before Ash gives the uh, regular plot recap, uh, would you like to kind of intro what movie we're going to be talking about today? The Lore is um, a 2015 film out of Poland about these two uh, mermaid sister cannibals who uh, swim on down from the Baltic Sea um, and work in, I think it's supposed to be 80s Warsaw, as strippers. (laughs) Um, And we kind of, we we see that they're, their quest for love. <laughs> uh, yeah, as they swim through the late communist city. <laughs> so, uh, so Ash, talking about the lure from 2015, uh, obviously, here be spoilers, as always, you know how it goes by now. What is this? Let's kind of get into the, let's get into the details. Let's, let's dive on into this cinematic masterpiece what is the law really all about oh oh we're we're going to dive deep into the lore. we're going to submerge ourselves in lure lore if you will with my incredibly accurate um, this is essentially a full script reading so bear with me here in order to understand 2015's allure we must first turn back the hands of time to 2003 
In 2003, the Secretary of State, Colin Powell, famously dangled a vial of anthrax in front of the UN. He attempted to goad the governments of the world into clearing a path for the United States to begin a terroristic campaign of violence against the people of Iraq. While the UN remained largely unmoved by his speech, the incalculable scope of this violence would begin just three short days later. The media apparatus of the Western world largely fell into line with America's efforts. As famed journalist Abby Martin would say nearly two decades later, the United States media is, quote, literally curating our reality and trying to paint anything that challenges this establishment narrative as conspiracy theories, as disinformation, end quote. This was as true in 2018 as it was in 2003, as it has always been in contemporary American history. The maintenance of hegemonic control for the sake of power and empire. But hegemony creeps through this power structure. It is both the framework for grand narratives and the binding that holds us in place. The 2015 Polish movie, The Lure, is about the agony of this hegemonic control. The same threads of power that ensnare the world's media also capture the very thoughts in our minds like a net. Power is maintained on all levels at the cost of our freedom. To interrogate a wider system of hegemonic oppression, the lure's leading characters, mermaids named Silver and Golden, sever ties to their Piscine culture and indeed biology to slot into the normative demands of oppression. In the end, we are faced with the grim reality that hegemony is the maintenance of the comfort of our oppressors at the expense of our own. We can either defy this hegemonic ensnaring and rip the throats from the symbols of power, or we can be dragged down as all that is solid melts into sea foam. Join us for the lure. Well, thank you very much for tuning yeah. into this episode of the Horror Vanguard, but there's no way we're topping that. So let's... <laughs> oh, you, you you didn't see Colin Powell's 2003 speech to the UN coming, did you? I uh, Honestly, I swear no, to God, I did no. not see that coming. <laughs> uh, yes, let's, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about the lore. Um, I just kind of have to kind of dive right on we let's let's dive right on into I've, this i've got my snorkel i've got my flippy flops i i am ready to get moist let's do this <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm pouring i'm pouring a single glass of water seductively on my legs right now as it turns uh, into a giant fish tail so where should we start with this everybody <laughs> So, so when I, when I was watching this movie, that was the one big thought I had, right? Is that the, the, there's so much going on in this movie about maintaining hegemonic control over power, right? You know, you, we, we've got we've got these mermaids that, despite being like, like like these undying creatures of myth in the sea, are they're they're forced to like subjugate their very existences to try and make it in in like the surface world or whatever. And like part of this is them like exploring aspects of their own identity, right? Aspects of their own identity as, mm -hmm. as music artists and sex workers and all of these like other things that they seem to be really enjoying. But then it's, it's kind of like agonizing. There's like an ankle weight to that. And that ankle weight that they're constantly dragging is that the world really doesn't like fish people unless it's fetishizing them. Yeah. You know, like, like every time they try to get intimate or close, they're, they're, they're no longer these kind of like, sexy artist creatures they're they're disgusting animals again. except for one glorious scene oh except, except for, except for one of the best <laughs> ever <laughs> <laughs> 
out of a deeply homophobic country at that, but whatever, it's fine. <laughs> right? Do you want to? Do you want to kind of? Uh, do you want to kind of give a little more uh, kind of context for people who may not have seen the show, the scene, the scene? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, Mr. Snow. If you, if you could give us more of like the myth and the lore of of mermaids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so golden and silver, real interestingly, um, map on to two other famous uh, mythical mermaids, um, one of which is the Little Mermaid, and the other, the lesser known Sirenka, um, is her sister. And mythologically, they parted at the Baltic Sea, and uh, Sirenka went on down to Warsaw, where as a siren, you know, she sang beautifully, people fell in love with her, yada, yada, yada. Um, and one fisherman was like, yo, I'm gonna catch this bitch, put her in my barge. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, it, he does. Um, and she had been like kind of fucking with the fish too, like freeing him from the nets and stuff. And um, the local, uh, the local Varsovians who had heard her singing and missed her came and rescued her from there. Um, and as kind of like gratitude, she protects the city of Warsaw, which, you know, th there was a blip in 1944, but, but like that aside, I think she's, she's <laughs> done, 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 done a great job. job. Um, yeah. And then she, um, her sister, uh, the little mermaid, um, the, I mean, famous, well, maybe not famously, because this is the, like, fucked up uh, Hans Christian Andersen version that we didn't see in Disney, but um, falls in love with this uh, with, with guy, with this guy, <laughs> um, and uh, sacrifices herself, right, for him. Yeah. She turns into sea foam when, yeah. And, or, wait, what is it? See, I, I looked up the Serenka myth. Yeah, and I didn't look up the Little Mermaid myth because I thought I knew it because I've seen that fucking movie so many times. But like, the movie's not the myth. Um, <laughs> um, she, <laughs> she she has her her tail swapped out for feet, but it always feels like she's walking on shards of glass. And then she turns to sea foam when he doesn't love her. So we see that mapped in golden and silver. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That was that was one of the things I liked most about this movie is that like you 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 get like that that kind of like folkloric mermaid that that's been so whitewashed through disney's retellings you know Ari ariel's this oh, fun loving right. happy times princess and oh she she's got to face an evil witch but everything's fine and happy and this is like no things are fucking horrible <laughs> yeah. oh and one yeah fun absolutely fact. um so golden is Sirenka and uh silver is little mermaid the word uh, gold in Polish is złoty, which is also the word for money. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm sensing a metaphor in this movie somewhere, though I can't quite have yeah, it. Yeah, maybe some symbolism? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's one of the things which is so good about this film, right? This way, this, this, the integration of very, of the the eighty setting, like the slightly sleazy club with like mythology at the same time. We just kind of smash those two features together and this is what comes out. And it's so much fun. 
Uh, Because there's a lot going on here. There's like 14 different genres just kind of (laughs) like trying to, you know, claw each other's hearts out. Um, But yeah, we have that scene with Golden and the cop where, um, you know, right previously, Silver had been trying to seduce that like dick bag, um, the bass player, who refuses to see her as a human. Um, Whereas golden who's being pursued by this cop because she like just what like ate a dude because she's a fucking cannibal uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> kind of weaponizes her sexuality and the the uh weaponizes her mermaidness and her supernatural body um to seduce this cop into uh into laying off and falling in love with her and not um charging her and it's that that scene is as you say quite quite surprising for a number for a number of reasons not least because uh it's the one kind of moment of intimacy that doesn't seem to be uh, kind of fetishized or it isn't something that happens uh as a performance it seems like this cop like there's a genuine there's a it's there's a genuine moment of like real kind of connection between these two which is hysterical because this cop she like I, I was I was pretty surprised to see pussy in in this this film, but like she's like literally humping a mermaid tail and then like holding a gun to Golden's head, and we're like, it's not fetishized at all. It's natural. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in this context, kind of carnivalesque, is it not in the most like choreographed? um sex scene actually seems like the most genuine and honest yeah absolutely and the idea that actually there would have to be some you know what 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 does it mean to have this kind of what for many people would be a very taboo thing i mean the shape of water explores something sort of similar in it similar but in a lot more detail but uh i do think it's quite impressive that there is this attempt to tackle very honestly what that might look like in a film as completely off the wall as this one. <laughs> well, and like the the difference between the cop and and which is I it's, it seems weird that we're talking about cops and not also talking about like how cops are bad, but like she doesn't have a huge <laughs> role in the film beyond like this scene. Um the bass player is so repulsed by Silver's, you know, non-normative not entirely human body um whereas the like the the queer relationship here on multiple levels like the the cop does not give a fuck that um that golden has this like tail you know and the juxtaposition of the two um i don't know i think is really fascinating and that we see so i i like legit just watch this scene again because like I mean, because it's really hot and I wanted to rewatch it like an hour ago. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah. We see Silver <laughs> sleeping with the, the bass player or trying to seduce him, whatever, it's fine. Um, and she's trying to look pretty and trying to look as much like a girl as she can, you know, as a human woman um, versus Golden, who has like fucking fangs out, full tail, like... <laughs> just yep. being her authentic self 
Yeah, no, I, I think that, I think this is all really interesting, right? And like, we've got like, I really like the tension that this film kind of un, unintentionally has with The Shape of Water. Because The Shape of Water is very much about like, the, the bond forged through common struggle and how that often emerges as love and, and this interpersonal connection that defies the, these kind of like weird, arbitrary, like societal lines of taboo and, and oppression and stuff like that. And then we have the lure, which is really just about that oppression. And it's about kind of like the horrors faced by it. And yeah. like, like, you know, like the shape mm-hmm. of water we have like, Oh, like it's, it's love. It's inspiring. And in this one, like it, it's just full of merverts perverts for mermaids, <laughs> which is a term I learned about while researching for this film. I, oh, I, I, I had no idea there was, there was an actual term for it, but so ap- apparently most... in the, in the professional mermaid cosplay scene, all, all of the creepers, all of the greasy dudes who show up, those are the merverts. You know, speaking of creeps, I had this piece of shit ex who was a creep um and i remember very distinctly i think this was the day i decided i that i was going to break up with him um because like i like i think mermaids are cool like i like mermaids a lot and I, I was talking about we were talking about like mythology or something and he said something like you know i don't like mermaids and i was like what like why and he he was like he goes because they don't have a pussy and i was like Oh, 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 no. Like, which, like, I guess, maybe. Um, I don't know. I haven't, like, I haven't fucked a mermaid personally. But, um, <laughs> like, like. Um, um, sir, excuse me, um, sir. As we learn in the beginning of, of 2015's The Lure, they, in fact, do. <laughs> they, they, in fact, do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what smells like fish? <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> he's like in the kitchen like are you (laughs) um and that's when i was like yo uh fuck you man it's weird that that sex scene emerges as kind of like one of the most intimate and honest aspects of the film because it in and of Mm -hmm. itself is not right like the the intimacy and the honesty there is like the, the the mermaids are the mermaids are doing that because they could die if they don't right like if this cop i mean it's very non normative Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> just a little yeah. bit. Yeah, well, and I mean, that that relationship, too, between Golden and the cop is the most, I think, like, nakedly transactional in that we know Golden is fucking her so that, you know, she doesn't get arrested for cannibalizing a man, <laughs> which we see works the next day yeah. on the news when, um, yeah, the cop is like, we do not have any leads yet. <laughs> We have not found the body we, parts. We've got no idea. We have got Mm-mm, things none. were really weird. We we don't know what's going on. <laughs> nope. We are deleting our browser history. No one knows anything. <laughs> it especially was not any really hot mermaids with with massive bang. <laughs> oh man, you know you know what you know that would totally be one of those things where like. You know, you know how like once a month, like cops will share a screenshot from their computer and be like, "We're oh, we're watching this gang on Facebook," and then one of the tabs will be like a horse porn or just something incredibly fucking bizarre. <laughs> like this, but mermaids. Yeah. What like, if this? I saw a meme floating yeah. around. 
the uh, on my sex worker meme group which was some dude who took a picture of like a locksmith and was like really a locksmith is an essential business from his car which first of all like obviously a locksmith isn't it like what if you get whatever besides the point but um in the passenger seat was sitting like a chastity belt I, I I was gonna say like if, if if you get locked in a cage for the entirety of quarantine, you are definitely gonna think a locksmith is an essential. You better service. have a locksmith. Yeah. <laughs> um, I usually mm-hmm. have a rule against shit talking clients, or not even shit talking clients, because I actually really like this. Redacted. Um, but since I, you know, obviously can't do sex work when there's a goddamn plague. Yeah, fuck it. Roll all bets are off. Um, I have one client who <laughs> I'm like um he keeps his dick in a cage and this redacted. If we if we take if we take a moment, we we can really draw drag this back in, in into the lure. We can lure this back into the lure, right? Mm-hmm. I find this point really mm-hmm. alluring. Hey. Like, so so like, <laughs> we've got we've got we've got this guy, right? This this guy who's got a very particular fetish. Right, that that seems outlandish, right? You, but but is in all actuality, I mean, like if if you're like a dick in a cage guy, you're that's like extra harmless as far as fetishes go. Like that's a thing that just involves you. Oh, that's nowhere near the most. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, like like on 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 the fetish scale, that's not even we're not tipping the meter yet. <laughs> yeah, but like then then you know we move into the space of the lure and and so much of of the lure is is about like shaming people for divergent sexualities yeah you know like like we have we have like you know like the the bassist the asshole like just just absolutely you know like we we have the situation where like it would be, it would be tempting to mock so, someone for having like a goofy fetish but like at the end of the day like 99.9% repeating of fetishes are, are just the most benign weird occupations people oh. have you know like like they're 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 sex hobbies and and they should be like contextualized as such and then like we have the lure where like we see what happens when people don't treat like like these divergent sexualities these fetishes as the kind of like benign fun things they are and instead treat them as like dangers and subversions that need to be like avoided or rooted out and i'd say especially in um comparison to uh golden and the cop uh the basis rejection of silver because of and i mean like even once she does become a woman right like or you know a human woman rather than a mermaid woman (laughs) Mm -hmm. um that he'll always see her as a fish or whatever it's like it seems almost like he's he's fetishizing god i don't even know how to maybe we we should probably talk about that scene more in depth right um he's kind of fetishizing women as like not even having real bodies almost as like having that you know barbie doll body that uh we see when we're introduced to golden and silver because when you know he and silver finally have sex and like have penetrative you know vaginal sex and uh she bleeds because she just had fucking surgery so she could like swap out her tail for legs um that's when he becomes disgusted and i'm like bro really like really (laughs) 
You can't deal with a little bit of period. This like, is what you on, want. Yeah, we dude. are going there today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah, you wanted like a functioning human vagina here, and now that you have one, you're like disgusted. Like, man, ugh. makes me think of like, dudes I, I, I who think, are like, I'm a real man. I don't eat pussy, and I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm fucking your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think your point here is just like so critically insightful and so important for how we read and understand this text, you know, because because we have like a lot of men in this film kind of demanding that these women be women and not mermaids. And, and you know, when, when the one who all of these desires is kind of focalized into the bassist gets his wish, he, he just completely breaks down and he can't take it. And you're absolutely right about this, you know, and like. God, I love being told that. <laughs> My favorite three words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I mean, I mean, like this is just like this is desire one hundred and one, right? He's saying he wants her to be a real woman. He he wants a real woman, but then when he he gets a, a, a like the the most real woman imaginable, a woman with a bleeding vagina, like the most normal fucking shit. He did. He and one who can't that fucking was never his talk. In the, first place. the dream. <laughs> the, oh, the, yeah, typical, yeah. the typical misogynist dream uh our our yeah, problematic fave uh, uh our problematic fave zizek has a very similar kind of point where he says that oh, like, the typical the typical kind of male male misogynist fantasy uh is that they're unhappily married and they're having an affair and so they say you know oh if only if only if only my wife you know, not not that I would, you know, kill them, but if they were just gone, then I could be happy. Then because then I would be with the person that I'm having this affair with. But if they actually get what they want, if if they if they get they, if they get divorced, what happens is most of the time is that other relationship completely falls apart as well. So it's like you never really want what you say that you want because when you get the actual the actuality, the kind of real presence of the other. You it's completely kind of impossible to deal with. It's like Lynn Coplitz has this one joke um, that's like, um, or she's talking about how like the one thing that men want is for women to shut the fuck up, and then she's like, "Edit, you know that a man created the blowjob. It has job in the title. If a woman came up with that, uh. we call it a lickety split. And you know why? Like hey. <laughs> they love it so much." <laughs> A, sex, B, shut the fuck up. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely, absolutely fuck the, fuck the bass player. Just <laughs> gets oh, what, he... gets what the, gets what he deserves. <laughs> yeah, he, he winds up up to his gills in trouble in the end there. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you're, did you brainstorm these ahead of time? I've just been dicking around, like, not, you know, doing much up. Um, but that, that ending is, I mean, I have a different reaction to it emotionally every time I watch it. Um, but kind of every everyone does get what they want, you know? Like, Silver gets to die in his arms. Um, Golden gets to fucking massacre him and, like, drink his blood. And, I mean, I mean, I guess that asshole doesn't get what he wants, but he gets what he deserves. <laughs> it's a happy ending. <laughs> Or he gets, you know, he gets to join uh, Silver yeah. in death, which would make Silver happy, even if it wouldn't make him happy. But like, who cares? <laughs> <Accurate>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that guy. 
the the stereotypical hot douchebag um bass player like will will literally ruin your life but there is something that, that ending though is is so tragic because it shows that she has something that he doesn't which is actually the ability to emotionally connect to empathize with the other because like there's a moment where you think is she going to do it is she going to do what um what triton has told her to do which is eat this guy before the end of the day and there's a moment where you think she's about to but she can't do it she can't but she can't she can't bring herself to do that uh and it's her it's not it's it's not a kind of like it's not that the guy gets away it's that she 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 cares about him is the thing that ends up being the thing that will leave her as nothing but but uh sea foam and then he's like my suit's all wet like fuck you man <laughs> yeah oh fuck you dude fuck you Seriously, his yeah. reaction is you you just killed a fucking mythological creature and your reaction is like Ugh, gooey <laughs> yeah because he just goes yeah, oh what is right what is this shit all over me blood. and i'm like no you you so <laughs> deserve to die <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Golden is here to get the job done. Oh, he's disgusting. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I think, I think, like, this scene, the, 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 like, this final, this climax, to me, is just kind of so instructive, right? Because, like, the the bassist represents power, right? You know, he's 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 a white guy. He's a successful musician. We can assume he's got some amount of money that gives him privilege, and like, he's they will never accept you. Yeah, 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 and like, like mm-hmm. that that system will never accept. He doesn't it. have you to take off his clothes for money. Your... Yeah, yeah, like you, you can, you can destroy your body. You can do everything they want you to do, and at the end of the day, they will still just let you die. One of these mer- mermaids has has good analysis. One of these mermaids got duped. <laughs> yep, <laughs> <laughs> but. I'm like also though like well I mean they both golden and silver get what they want. I, I think I think like like they get what they want in like the most tragic and broken ways though. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Well, and I I don't know it it also typifies golden's uh, relationship to men and men's bodies rather than I mean sure she does she allows herself to be fetishized. Um, but her relationship to men's bodies is to consume them, literally, to eat them. Yeah, so what do you what do you make of that from like her her stance as kind of both like literally a mythological monster that needs to eat people to live and someone who's also involved in like like sex work? Because I feel like there's there's like a clear metaphor being done here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it shows this it's this analysis of capitalism that um kind of bypasses the point that money is a metaphor for itself right so that like she is trying to uh use her body to feed her body which is what we all do by labor and she's trying to acquire the resources that she needs which in this case happens to be a human heart (laughs) But um, yeah, so the ending really typifies, yeah, well, Golden's relationship to the male body, right, which is um, to consume it, quite literally. Um, 
And I mean, even if she has to fetishize her own body to to do that, like, of course, that's what we do by laboring by, you know, we, we objectify ourselves, we turn ourselves into objects. It belies the, the lie of money, you know, that um, or lays bare the fact that money is just a metaphor for itself and that she is is using these men's bodies and using her own body to lure in men's bodies um, to acquire resources, which in this case, you know, symbolically or not, happens to be a heart. Or actually, no, I'm sorry, she doesn't eat his heart. She rips out his throat. So now he's been silenced. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's a whole thing about uh, missing thoraxes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> The missing yeah. thorax subplot. <laughs> the the case of the missing thorax. Um which <laughs> yes, ab ab absolutely ties into um this whole idea of losing one's voice uh as a mermaid. If you you may get you may get legs, but you know, it costs you something that you can never regain. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, to totally. It costs you your 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 literal identity. It costs you your history, right? Right. This is this is a, a very clear metaphor for for having to assimilate into a dominant hegemonic culture, right? It, it, you the only way in is to pay mm -hmm. with your identity, and then even still, that doesn't matter. You you still can't really ever be in. Yeah. At what point will you ever be truly accepted? And right. Is, and and is that is that acceptance worth the price it's going to cost? Exactly. Yeah. No, but we got like we got like this interesting parallel, right? Where like, uh, uh like 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 a mermaid sacrifices her her literal voice, mm. you know, and, vo and voice is something we talk about so much in like contemporary politics. Like, who's who's speaking? From what voice are we hearing this? Right? She sacrifices her literal ability to have a voice to to try and assimilate into a culture that will never accept her, and and in the end, her her sister robs that same power structure of its own voice. Yeah. Right, there's there's such a beautiful parallel there. Mm. And then, you know, presuming that Golden is Sirenka would go on to, like, guard the city, right? Some yeah, interesting absolutely. ties into nation. Uh, nation belonging... Which has been an issue for Poland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to put, it, to put it mildly. For a while, actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there has been a little historic back and forth there. You're right. Yeah, Warsaw in particular, they, you know, they, they've had a, a rough ride. Yeah, that's, that, is, that is really interesting that, that if she is meant to be linked into this mythological mermaid and she is kind of like this figure of a defender, you know, like I, th I think this movie is calling into question what exactly she's mm. defending and like what kind of defense she's going to be engaged in when, when she kind of like returns to that uh, folkloric role. Or is this even a manifestation of that? You know, she's defending the city from this kind of like heteronormative patriarchal force. Well, and you know, that I think is, makes me think of the fact that this is a film that came out in 2015 but is set at right before um the fall of uh the, the soviet union and i mean poland wasn't a part of the soviet union but you know yeah <laughs> or, yeah but the, the the revolution started there in gdansk 
Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? Why do you think the the 80s is such an important aspect of the setting? Why is it set so specifically then rather than rather than in 2015 when it when it was released? Even the 70s, right? Like where a lot of the music would be more at home. Yeah. I'm like, I, I'm the thinking emoji. Like, <laughs> no, but but it is really interesting that they chose the '80s, right? Because I think I think in like the '80s, you know, we we are kind of like in this cultural moment where where Soviet power is is so so thoroughly fallen in 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 the kind of red scare sense of of you know the the power of Russia and and Russia's global interest is so thoroughly stripped away. And we're we're also kind of like simultaneously really distant from the memory of World War II at this point. So like if you look at a lot of 80s kind of cinematic mm. output, you know, the, the the baddies kind of stopped being Nazis and, and the baddies started being Russians. You know, and like like especially if you go back and you look at all yes. of our nostalgia yes. that is being created in the time of the 80s, yeah. Stranger Things, the fourth Indiana Jones movie. You know, they're all about like, oh, those evil, mysterious Russians behind the Iron Curtain. What kind of wicked deeds are they up to? And a lot of the depiction of kind of like, you know, like like the borderland, right? Like those those places in Eastern Europe that are like really close to Russia, but not quite close enough. You know, those those places always get depicted as kind of being these gray areas. Well, and the they learned Polish in Bulgaria, right? Yeah. Doesn't the club owner ask? Oh yeah, yeah. When they learn or where they learn Polish, and they said on a big Bulgarian beach. Um, well, and there's an, an interesting way of you know introducing the importance of voice and language to the the film early on. Yeah, I thought that was that was really interesting in the way that scene was constructed too, because this guy's being presented with two mermaids, and he's like, "Oh, okay, two mermaids." Yeah, I like love his reaction is so. <laughs> Which he also <laughs> somehow knows are not Polish, right? He's like, oh, you you can't be from here. You have to be like alien to our nation and our language and our tongue. Yeah, so, I so love we, how blase we... he is about it, where he's just like, oh yeah, wow, wow, too much. This is amazing. This will be such a big draw. <laughs> yeah, do we do we see <laughs> blase attitude to the mermaids is like kind of illustrative of the fact that like capital cares nothing for the wonders and, and oddities of this world and it's just looking at dollar signs because because when he's looking at the mermaids like you can tell that he's like oh yeah like we got a good act here this can bring in money and of course he doesn't know how to properly like i mean maintain them properly treat his workers because then the the woman i, I don't do, do we it's krisha is that her name yeah um she comes in the older woman and and sees that they're like dying because they they there hasn't been water like he doesn't know how to properly maintain oh, the yeah. body of his his workers because <laughs> it doesn't I'm matter like, oh, he doesn't yeah. give a shit <laughs> That's so good, and like, like they're, they're they're his kind of like conclusion to that is just to like rush over and dunk him in a pool. Yeah, and like I was thinking, like okay, like fish would die Which, I mean, if works, you threw them in like... so heavily chlorinated water, right? Like a pool would kill them, and and it's just like it's so it's so like our oh, current moment, shit. right? Because all of these workers are like, oh, like you don't you don't get uh, like personal protective equipment, you don't get more money, you know, you you just get to die, and then like oh, like Whole Foods just gave its employees a shirt 
the, where the back says hardcore and there's a picture of an <gasps> and in the front is, is the whole food logo oh and a little banner that says oh hero jesus yeah and like like that is literally that is the real world equivalent of just throwing mermaids in a pool and going like fuck it i hope this works <laughs> yeah absolutely and and this idea that that someone yeah. could be confronted be confronted with like a figure from mythology and would go oh yeah money money in the bank you know there's that there's that what's the great uh quote from uh i think it's i think it's capital where marx talks about like all no it's the communist manifesto where marx talks about like all that is sacred or any kind of uh all of their like heavenly ecstasies of religion have been dissolved into the into the uh like brutal logic of market exchange so even if you recognized what this creature was the only way that you can make sense of it especially in the 80s when you have the kind of collapsing of of the op- the opposing value system of capitalism is to go like your your eyes just kind of turn into big dollar signs and pop out of your head when you recognize this you can't see it as like uh, a, a mythological or imaginative kind of moment it has to be about economic power yeah well, and it really yeah, well really. illustrates the tension in the entire film between fantasy and horror right mm, yeah which is also what we see in in their bodies in that they're these idealized young women. They even say that in the beginning. What is it? Um, the the club owner's like, they're not gonna bite, are they? And then Krisha's like, oh no, they're young. You know, they're they're they have these Barbie doll bodies, is how I think the club owner yeah. um yep. refers to them as. But which like looking at a Barbie doll bo- body or you know, a body without like genitals or like an ass. Um <laughs> like let me use this like medical term and then yeah um but like looking at that that may be something that we consider a fantasy but then when you see it you're like oh oh that's kind of horrific Mm. so then i mean then too with with the mermaids when they when they do turn into mermaids and um i mean they can objectify themselves when they're working to look like you know young women but when they're actually trying to feed themselves, you see their teeth turn into like baleen. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that I think that's like the, that's really which is cool. horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the status of their bodies and how how the men in the movie perceive their bodies is just really 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 interesting, right? Because like none of the men from the club owner to the bassist are able to actually perceive the bodily reality of these mermaids, except for Triton. Yeah. Right, he, he's the only one who's like, okay, no, like, in order to maintain, mm. like, your your natural body and your healthy state, you gotta fucking eat this guy. You know, like, he, he knows, like, the, the reality and the mechanics, whereas, like, all the rest of the men in the film, you know, like, they, they, they can only see these, like, hyper-idealized bodies, and, like, when they're, when they're ex- inspecting them from that medicalized perspective in the beginning, right? You know, like, that, that totally mirrors this, this kind of, like, patriarchal inability to envision the bodily reality of, like, literal women, you know, like, like, like women, women are objectified, right. turned into objects. Objects have no interiority, right? They have no bodily reality. Women, women go to the powder room and they dust up and then they're back, you know, like, like women don't go take a poop, you know, like that's, that's like, like part of the reality of this. Film. Well, I mean, oh, we don't. It is. <laughs> oh, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, that's right. I, if I learned anything from this movie today, <laughs> all women are mermaids. So. 
<laughs> Maybe that just that just granted me some insight into why people like fucking brown showers. <laughs> Um, not not trying to kink shame. Not trying to kink shame. <laughs> healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries. Healthy, healthy boundaries. Um, but yeah, and you know, women don't bleed. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. This, I think, this film is really, yeah. really good at kind of literalizing these misogynistic discourses. The the these ideas, which are like, here is the mm-hmm. idealized version of what uh, womanhood should be. And this film goes, okay, well, which it still in reality reads as inherently monstrous once yeah. we get to like the vagina, right? Yeah, precisely. And then later, you know, we see that the like actual reality is also read as monstrous. So almost like women are seen as monstrous. <laughs> it's, mm. it, it's, it's almost like misogyny will get you coming and going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's like... oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is what we talk about all the time on the show, right? Like, society turns the other into a monster, and then of course, people who are othered identify with the monstrous, right? The merger between these monstrous mermaids and and the the objectification and sub subjection of women is is literalized in the most perfect way possible because society our our society outside of the movie reality views women as as these kind of un, uh, unsolvably mythical monstrous entities right like like you know like like the, the 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 scene where she's having sex with the bassist right and she bleeds on him because she just had like her her lower body literally swapped for another one you know, like we as viewers are privy to the mechanics of this. We're like, oh, of course she's bleeding because she just had in, in an unimaginably complex surgery. But he's like, you gross blood. And it's just like, it's like, like, like you see. Is this you see your period? Like, like yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. His, his reaction is like, like, like totally part of, of like the kind of like silencing effect that, that, that happens to like the just biological reality that is like literal women. right yeah 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 exactly well and i love how golden and silver also um show the i mean and neither one is good enough you know the dichotomy between uh silver not being able to speak at all period being silenced which is supposedly ideal and then uh golden who who sings who's a vocalist and then doesn't triton triton comes and tells her after she makes her like triumphant debut like uh yeah you need a lot of work Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like silencing <laughs> in, in this film. <laughs> so what? Okay, like that, that's something. That's something I want to talk about. That's something that I found really interesting. That the movie, I think, for for various reasons, definitely didn't explore. But like, what do we make of Triton? Well, I mean, speaking of monstrous, he has like goddamn crater in his forehead and then when um golden gets too close to it doesn't he like gurgle at her <laughs> oh yeah he'll, he'll he like growls or something like i think i think they weren't they meant yeah. to be yeah. in that scene a little bit and also, like I, I read that as playful but when he's talking about the things like he's supposed to have horns yeah yeah and and that was where he ripped out his own horn as part of his own attempt to assimilate into human culture 
Yeah, precisely. That was that was kind of how I read it. Like the the price of assimilation, right? What, what do you feel like? What what does the 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 system that you want to be part of make you do to yourself? This is maybe like a a stretch, but you know, considering the like national and historical context that we've been discussing, the way, <laughs> um, well, and I'm Jewish, so the way that I've always or you know, the few times that I've read that when he says that he had horns, I think of like, okay, cuckold horns, and then um, the stereotype of the Jew having horns. Um, and again, I'm like, disclaimer, snow is Jewish. <laughs> um, that's been, a, I mean, Poland is still deeply anti-Semitic. Um, I mean, we've, you know, there've been just horrifying rallies. And that's another way in which, um, you know, Jews had to assimilate into Polish culture, and Poland had the largest uh, population of Jews pre-World War II. Um, and you didn't want people being able to visibly identify you. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I saw that assimilation within this, like, national ethnic context as well. That's a really, that's a really interesting reading. That's something that I, I never would have thought of. Um... Yeah, I think that's a very cool way of reading it. You ever just listen to yourself and think, like, this is why people think people in the humanities are fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> like that's the most, like, kind of far-fetched, but also, like, I don't know, I think it works, I think. No, I, I, I have the opposite reaction where every every, every time I, I, I finish, you know, like, little editing an episode, I'm like, huh, you know, why why aren't we the rightful emperor kings of, of the world? This is so bizarre to me. <laughs> <laughs> we we see we see with a clarity beyond clarity i don't get why people aren't interested in this mermaid discourse <laughs> yeah no i hear myself and i'm like i want to push that bitch into a logger <laughs> <laughs> any any final thoughts from anyone about about the 69th episode about these weirdly sexual mermaids nice uh <laughs> it it is extremely nice this is maybe my new favorite musical <laughs> Right. Yeah, maybe it's maybe my new favorite music. Jesus Christ Superstar, which makes sense for you, but but now it's uh, the Lord. Upgrade. <laughs> you know the one scene that I think is in, right that I think is fascinating that we didn't discuss is uh, the like hangover drug scene. Yeah. After. Mm, yeah. Um, Krisha and that dickhead bass player and that other dickhead um, knock out Golden and Silver and then throw them into the sea, which seems like the like they didn't really think that one through. Like they'll be fine. And you can't drown. <laughs> Come on, guys! You know how this works. Like, <laughs> <laughs> These guys are yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know when they turn up, nobody, nobody's surprised, and I'm like, of course not. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then Golden goes, Oh, we're not mad and chomps <laughs> off his finger. Yeah, it bites off his finger. <laughs> I'm not mad about it, but I will be taking mm -hmm. your finger now. Uh what about you, Ash? Any final thoughts? Uh yeah, like this movie, this movie is great. Like I think I think like this movie we could go so much longer talking about everything that's going on in this film. Um, but yeah, like definitely like like while you're watching it's this, so like cool. th think about just like systems of oppression, being othered, like like the monster monstrous language being used to describe people and like the weird clinical obsession. 
like that's something we didn't get into is like the weird clinical obsession that that people have with these mermaids yeah and how that kind of overlaps onto a lot of discourse about how how the other what the basis says to silver actually reminded me of something that someone emailed me back in december so the basis says something like um you know you'll never be like a, a girl to me you'll always be a fish right or like you'll you'll always be a fish you'll never be a human and i remember back in december when i was getting like inundated with just like dudes um i had one in my email that was like well uh like don't you feel like you're not really a woman or you're not really a human and i was like excuse you what? <laughs> he was like well being you know doing that work being a dominatrix that seems like like you belong in the wild or like in a barn i remember he said the word barn and i was like what okay Wait, I, I mean, what? i'm just gonna not waste any more mental energy on this but like yeah it's like you know it's dehumanizing it's animalistic yeah. um that type of sex you know ob objectifying your human body makes it non-human mm. yeah yeah absolutely i mean given silver is like literally not human but you know whatever <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, it's I mean, not like, like it ever reads as bestiality. Oh yeah, yeah, no, and I think like like that's a that's like another another vector that I wish we had time to get it. into. But like, there's this whole discourse about like how we approach the natural world, how we treat the natural world, how we refuse to accept it mm. on its own terms ever at all, and force mm -hmm. it into the mold of like human discourse. You know, there there is no like mermaid oriented ontology going on in this film. They're just kind of constantly being jammed into the, <laughs> of the yes. human. Mm -hmm. Well, except for Golden, though, right? Oh yeah, yeah. We do we do get like brief brief glimpses through her, like when she she fucks that cop and she's like super monstrous doing it. Yeah, yeah, and also her um her her solo song where everyone else is frozen. Mm, the like i'm sad you're sad we're all sad welcome to poland <laughs> <laughs> yeah the final thing that i was thinking about was the um was like the one of the very first songs which was uh when they have just been kind of admitted to the club and the, the and commodity the fetishism goes, song that, yeah, yeah the song about like, commodity fetishism where they literally go the city will us <laughs> what we need <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I was just there next to my next to my uh 1970s copy of Capital Volume One going, go on, <laughs> continue. <laughs> um but but for a for, for a film about about how the the kind of capitalist hegemony seeks to bring in the the uh, constantly expand and to always be bringing in that which is from the outside, which can then be marginalized, monstered, othered, and exploited. Like that opening, that first song kind of completely sets out the stool for just what the film is about. Well, and and Golden, um, Golden and Silver are like twirling around and dancing when it ends, right? And Golden's fine, and then Silver collapses. Mm. Like it's too much for her. Because it's too much she for her. Like us, the right? city did not, in fact, tell her what she needed, despite the. I, I believe she's who sings that line, or at least we see her face when when that line comes along. Mm. No, this has been this has been a fantastic, another fantastically bizarre discussion. I would not have wanted this any other way for the 69th episode of this podcast. Nice. Nice. Nice.
Uh, yeah, but um, Mr. Snow, where where can our listeners find you? Where can they give you money? Uh, all the good stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Mr. Snow, PhD. You can also donate your uh, stimulus check to me <laughs> on my cash map, which is Snow, PhD. <laughs> Uh, which no one has given me in full yet, which Those is cowards. why. <laughs> take the opportunity. Well, hopefully, hopefully after this. Yeah, right. Hoeing in the time of COVID, baby. <laughs> and that's and that's how that's how we leave you for episode sixty nine with a teaser for Hoeing in the Time of COVID, the forthcoming book by Mister Snow. Truly, a heartwarming tale of passion, romance, and espionage set in these uncertain times. <laughs> Coming to a local indie bookstore near you. Hey! <laughs> Goodbye, everyone! Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. Ha 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 